Hello everybody and welcome to today's episode of Activist Lawyer. I am absolutely delighted to be joined by Zoom with Danielle Ayres, who is the employment partner at Primus Law. Hi, Danielle. Thank you for joining Morning. me. Morning. Thanks for having me on. So just a little introduction for some of our listeners. Danielle advises on all aspects of the employment relationship. She has a loyal employer client base who rely on her for day-to-day HR support Uh, purposes ranging from recruitment, contractual issues and policy drafting through to advice throughout the working relationships and on termination of employment. She has also carved out a niche for both individuals and businesses needing assistance with pregnancy and maternity related issues as well as parental rights. She's one of the go-to solicitors in this area within the UK working closely with employers and employees as well as a number of specialist partners and organisations. Danielle is named as Next Generation Partner in the Legal 500. And we've just been discussing this before. She is a busy mum to boys and spends most of her spare time on the sidelines of various football matches for her two young sons. Well, <laughs> that's a lot. Story of my life. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. So, Danielle, thank you again for joining us. Um, I've been following your work uh, for some time as well. And I know... Um, you know, what we've read out there is really just a tiny snippet of what you've actually been involved with. But before we get into that, I mean, let's take us back in time a little bit, just about how you got into law, where it all began, what was your inspiration to get into law and um, take us through some of the, the steps to get there. Um, well, I always say when I get asked this question, I actually always wanted to be a dentist. If you'd have asked me when I was 10 years old what I wanted to be when I grew up, it was a dentist. And that was the case, yeah, for a long, long time until I actually got to college and realised I was so rubbish at everything that I needed to be good at. To be a all the science so, and maths. Yeah, it really, really wasn't me at all. So um, I made the decision when I was going into university, actually, to to kind of take up a law degree. Um, I think I was massively influenced by the fact that Ali Matt Beale was on the telly at that time and oh, she yeah. made it look really, really fun with all the dancing in the loos and things like that. But I actually really enjoyed it at university. Mm-hmm. University do kind of throw you in the deep end with um, <laughs> kind of the, the basis of what you need with all the kind of really serious topics, you know, public law and things like that. Um, and I really enjoyed it. Um, and at that time, I'd really pitched myself as being a family lawyer and that's something I really wanted to do. Took it as um, an an elective at university. Um, I took a year out after university because I still didn't really, (coughs) I definitely decided which kind of sector I wanted to practice Mm. in. Um, And I thought before I did my LPC, I'd just take some time out. I actually went working in Zanti with my friends. I had a proper year out. um, yeah, let my hair down. Um, actually worked in an Irish bar um, called Mad Murphy, so I was over there. Um, but I had a really real year out, but then decided, yep, yeah, still want to do family. So I did my LPC full-time in Manchester um, at that point. Um, and at the time when I kind of finished my LPC, it, it was a real difficult time for kind of people wanting to get into our sector there wasn't many training contracts out there they were taking people on as paralegals with a view to a training contract so I never really thought I would be able to get a training contract coming straight out of my LPC but actually where my husband and I lived in the centre of Manchester there was a very little practice just on my kind of way into work to my um, weekend job and I just bobbed in one day and just asked the question like are you looking for anyone and and the managing partner was stood in the reception he said yeah we are actually we're interviewing at the minute um bring your CV in. So I took my CV in and I was really, really fortunate to be successful 
Great. in an application for a training contract. Um, and they were a small practice in Manchester, but they actually had 10 kind of um, offices around the Northwest. Um, so um, went in there and um, knew that they did family in one of those practices as well. So knew I was going to be able to do that. And actually on my first day there, got told that they had no employment team in this practice where I'd, I was working. They had 40, 50 employment files, which no one knew what was going on. And the manager partner just said to me, they're yours. Find out what's happening. I need to know what needs to be done. And from day dot really was completely thrown in at the deep end with a subject I hadn't ever even factored into kind of something that I would want to do. But I absolutely loved it. It is actually a lot like family law employment because obviously we spend an awful lot of our time at work. You know, anybody does. um, And it's an important part of of a work, you know, a a person's life. So you are actually dealing with people a lot like you are dealing with family. But I really enjoyed it. I I never knew why I didn't actually do it before. A lot of my friends had done it on the LPC. Um, But I... you know, I was talking to my friends who were at a lot of the bigger firms in town and they were just doing photocopying. They were yeah. sitting in with partners doing meetings, whereas I was in tribunal every right. day, every week, so you know, on, one day, yeah. two days. Yeah. Um, I was dealing with clients over the phone, um, you know, employers and employees as well, doing tribunal cases, grievances, you know, um, sitting in on settlement agreements as well. So that really set me up well to get another job straight after my training contract and actually moved to a firm called Garvin's um, who did employee and employer work. They were a corporate firm, but they did both sides of the, you know, both sides of the coin. So again, that was really great for me because a lot of employment lawyers these days are either business focused yeah, or that's what payment I was, focused. I was surprised to hear that you could, you could yeah. do both. I always generally thought yeah. it was more specialised that somebody did one or the other. Yeah. It is, you're right, it is. Um, but I was really lucky because at Garvin's I was still allowed to do both. Um, and I still do that now at Primus as well. Primus are a corporate firm, but I still do both. And right. one of the reasons for that is because actually after I had my second little boy, um, I came back to work, as many mums do, to kind of a clean sheet. Um, you know, my work mm-hmm. had been passed over to other people. I had to really start from scratch and build my work up again. Um, and whilst I've been off on mat leave, I'd had been sat in these baby classes and actually had to kind of swap hats at certain points like I'd be there at a baby massage class with my baby and then hear from someone across the room oh do you know what I've not been paid my holiday pay or everyone else has had a pay rise and I'd be like excuse me don't mean to interrupt but that's not right like you know that can't happen just because you're on maternity leave so I'd had my solicitor hat on as well as my mum hat um and I thought you know what more more needs to be done in this area and my boss at the time was like it'd be good if you had a niche it'd be good if you could hold yourself out as being a specialist in an area so I started up it was a bit like starting up my own company at the time you know um I was getting out there networking um I actually ran a drop-in session at Shaw Start Centres which we had in England at that time um you know when they did the weaning classes I did a drop-in legal um kind of hour so people could just ask me employment related questions at the time yeah, and mums are a, an amazing community yeah. to be a part of. You know, once you help one mum out, you then refer to their friend who's referred to their friend of helped husbands out now with, yeah. with employment issues as well. And actually, during that time, I was on Mumsnet commenting on, on posts and I commented on a blog by a lady called Jolie Braley who runs mm. a charity called Pregnant Then Screwed. Um, she posted a blog about how she'd been sacked by voicemail when she was pregnant. Um, and I was like, this is horrendous, hearing about this more and more. 
and we actually she was getting slated on mum's net for different things which i think happens um when you when you've got so many different opinions going on at one time um but we we found out that we were both manchester based and she just said she probably meeting for a coffee so we did oh, we met up um, and she told me what she was doing with pregnant men's grid which is just it's an amazing oh. organisation. Yeah, so if People anybody isn't familiar with it, and we'll talk a little bit about it here with Danielle, Pregnant Then Screwed, it's a campaign that was set up maybe nine years ago or so, maybe a little bit longer. Oh, I think just a yeah. tiny bit longer, yeah. And it's a fantastic um, campaign to tackle the very issues that Danielle has mentioned and more. And they've been really yeah. successful in making real change for women. Um, but there's still a lot of work needed. And just um, to give some context, the problem here that we're, we're talking about is, and this comes from their website, 54,000 I was shocked at these figures even though I'm familiar <laughs> with the issues obviously but yeah. 54,000 women a year lose their jobs simply for getting pregnant in addition 390,000 mums experience negative and potentially discriminatory treatment at work each year and these numbers almost doubled in a decade the website says so far from improving the situation for working mums is rapidly deteriorating unbelievable and then yeah. it goes on just to share that new mums have limited access to justice, demonstrated by the fact that fewer than 1% of victims will take legal action. And we see that all the time. It's yeah. a very daunting um, position to be in. And, you know, to take that action, the energy that you would need to do that, whilst also looking after a young family, you know, it's really awful. So, Danielle, we really are in a very kind of um, volatile position around this. And I, I know that you're one of your key roles with, with the organisation was a legal advice helpline and you're still doing that, I believe. Yeah, I mean, during that chat when we had our coffee, Jolie just said something that I really want to do is offer advice and support to, but I just don't know how to do it. And so at the time it was perfect for me because I was like, let me do it. You know, I was it would help me out as a mum returning to work. Um, and honestly, I can't tell you how quickly it snowballed, you know, mm. especially during the pandemic when actually women were you know, hit a lot more than men, you know, with the schools being short, nurses being short, yeah. we being the ones that do pick up the majority. I know that's not the right for every family, mm -hmm. but women do tend to pick up the majority of the childcare responsibilities mm -hmm. and caring responsibilities as well for older relatives. Women were really hit hard during the pandemic. We were helping hundreds of people every week during that period of time. Um, but we do now, you know, I have two or three calls every day through pregnant men's food. It's just it's it's really shocking and quite upsetting as a mum mm -hmm. myself to think that, you know, that we aren't getting this right now. Yeah. So your personal life, you know, is really intertwined with your day to day work. Um, oh, yeah. So and that's that's quite unusual. You know, it, it, so I'm just wondering as well how you do manage the kind of balance or is there such a thing as work life balance? <laughs> I, I often think it doesn't really exist. But, um, you know, is that challenging for you to, you know, operate um, your kind of your business there and, you know, be very sp specific in, on niche areas that are changing um, quite frequently and then also a busy family life yourself? Yeah, oh, it's an absolute nightmare. I think we were talking just before this that, you know, we, we very rarely get chance even for breakfast or dinner. Mm. Um, I think the pandemic has helped out in the legal profession, certainly, because okay. beforehand you would just never have heard of a a solicitor being able to work from home full time no. and I think for women that that is really hard when you're trying to especially going back to work after maternity leave as well and you're putting your new baby into nursery or leaving them with a the childminder and they are incredibly long days in our profession you know we do work long hours it's something that you know when you head into it mm -hmm. but for me um for me going back I went back um part-time 
um, yeah. originally. And even that was hard. I think even on days off, you're still answering emails because the client care with employment work as well is, is so, it's so tough. You don't want to just leave clients high and dry with no one else to speak to. But for me, it was really, really difficult, um, especially with career progression. I think, you know, I was told um, at my previous firm that I couldn't be a senior senior associate, a senior solicitor until I did at least four days a week. Um, okay. You know, it really it, eats into and, your time, yeah. Well, it's a choice then, isn't yeah, it? You're choosing, it do you want more time with your kids or do you yeah. choose to progress your career? So, um, and even now, you know, I'm back full time. Um, even now it's a battle, but the, the fact that flexible working has become much more um, mm. commonplace now, even yes. within the legal sector, it's, it's really, really helps. You know, I drop my kids off at school and I can be back at my desk by half past eight, yeah. you know, logged on, ready to go, yeah. not frightening the, the awful traffic that we have in the motorway system here. Um, and likewise, I can pick them up from school. My kids were often, you know, first dropped off at before school club, last picked up from mm. after school club. <laughs> um, so to be able to pick them up and bring them home, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's really good. But yeah, it is. It is. It's a massive juggle it's yeah, a for working parents. But I'm wondering, do you see more here? We've seen a lot of firms, um, businesses, legal or otherwise, that have started a four day working week where they get paid. They work four days and, and get paid for five. That seems to be something that's showing really positive results. Um, have you witnessed that even among maybe your clients or your employers? Is that something that people are kind of more yeah it's something that's really not been rolled out here very much i know that there was the um there was it has been done on kind of let's let's see how it goes with with a couple of companies and i know that the the benefits have been have been massive Mm. um you know those those employers have seen real benefits to it um i think that again the the, i know we keep i keep harping on about the pandemic but i think the pandemic turned it on its Mm. head that employers before really didn't get it how how beneficial flexible working can be, not just for working parents, no, but for across the board yeah. um, and how much they would get out of it. You know, happier staff, more mm. productive staff. Um, there's a lot to be said for it. Um, and I really do think if we can do the four-day, I know it won't work in every industry, will it, the four-day working week, but I think if we can roll it out, again, the, the benefits, they're just, they're, I can't remember the stats off the top of my head now, I can see why yeah. I can see why it was such a positive it is, um, yeah I've heard a lot of success stories so long yeah. may, may that last and just focusing yeah. in on your work um, then in terms of your your kind of niche area as well pregnancy and maternity related employment issues what are you seeing what's coming up for either your employees or employers when it comes to to that kind of specialist area and um, I mean, it varies because when we're talking about these types of cases, we're talking about such a long period of time. So we're talking about from when a person becomes pregnant and informs their employer all the way through to when they return from the maternity leave. So sometimes that can be, you know, 18 months, two years. Um, We get an awful lot of cases, especially through Pregnant Then Screwed, where an employee will tell their employer they're pregnant. And from that point, their behavior changes. So they'll be excluded from key meetings. They'll have key customers taken off them. They'll be, you know, held back in terms of promotion. We we can't do that because you're going off soon. Um, Again, we get a lot of cases where people are on maternity leave and they miss out on stuff because they are almost out of sight, out of mind. So they'll miss out on salary increases. They'll miss out on promotion opportunities. Um, They won't be told about changes that have been made to the department. I actually had one lady a good few years ago who 
I've had very limited contact with her employer throughout her maternity leave and returned to work and her desk wasn't there and all she found in the spot where her desk was was a cardboard box full of her stuff. And and people would say, well, sorry, you don't sit there anymore. You know, you sit over here now, set yourself up. And it's things like that that you do make women who are coming back off maternity leave, which is such a huge thing anyway. As I said, you know, dropping your newborn baby off even if that's with grandparents, it's a massive change and a massive thing to deal with personally. But then for the return to work not to be as easy as it could be, mm. it, it does have a real impact, especially on people's mental health. Yeah. The main cases that we see are in relation to redundancy. Mm. So someone will get back from maternity leave and they'll be told, right, your position's at risk of redundancy. And that might be while while their maternity cover has been kept on in a yeah. slightly changed position with a different job title um, or that their tasks have been given to others whilst they've been away. That's yeah. a real common it case. Is, it's um, it's really common. Yeah. And even yeah. just when you're going through some of those examples there, it just takes me back to a previous life when I worked in a, a firm that was nearly all all women. And just to witness when anybody announced the preg- that they were pregnant, you're right, the change in attitude. And then when it came to my turn, because I'd witnessed that and I'd yeah. seen the hardship and the concerns that that person had expressed, it was passed on to me. And you're right, pregnancy is such a difficult time anyway. And, you know, in, in many cases, in terms of you're dealing with as all sorts, we'll not get into it here, yeah. but to suddenly end up in a position where you're working, feeling so vulnerable. And so worried. And, you know, one of the things is finance and money. Is this going to affect me? And yeah. how am I going to afford this child if I'm let go? You, you think of the worst case scenario. And it's just astounding that in this day and age that that still happens so often within the workplace. So not only are you dealing with direct, you know, incidents of redundancy or even dismissal in, in some cases, like the one you yeah. mentioned with Jolie Burley, like just being dismissed by voicemail after she announced her pregnancy. Um, there's lots of indirect forms of discrimination that happens that might be very difficult to prove because as you... They're very subtle. They're subtle. Yeah, and there's, really subtle, yeah, yeah. And there's manipulation that can go on behind the scenes to show that, well, we're not really discriminating, but the person, you know, knows that they are. So very, very difficult. Um, what can we do? What I mean, I know it's such a broad question, but you know, to kind of counteract these challenges, what needs to be done? Is it changes in the law? Is it more training, more awareness? We have got the law there. You know, mm. the, the basis of what we've got at the minute is quite good in terms of protection um, for women um, and working parents as well. You know, with shared parental leave, we've seen more dads taking up, um, you know, leave and having, you know, six months, you know, nine months off. Um, it, it is difficult. I always say to people, communication is massive in these types of cases. Um, you know, so long as you communicate with your employer, you tell them how you wanted to, you want to be contacted, how much contact you want to have whilst you're off on maternity leave. At least then you set the bar in yeah. terms of what you want to know and what you want to, you know, what you know when they should get in touch. Um, I think a lot of it as well is down to educating employers and making sure employers know exactly what they should be doing. I think we're finding more employers are wanting to be supportive um, when, you know, employees find out they're pregnant, when employees are on maternity leave and in their return to work, we're seeing more mentor schemes set up, um, you know, more return to work policies that are are in place. But it's making sure that, you know, not only those at the very top know about those policies, but the management on the ground, because that's where you get the issues. That's where you get these knee-jerk reactions of, employees say no I'm pregnant and then I'm just going no you're kidding you're not going to be having 12 months off are you so it's making sure that 
you know, people are people are educated and people know how to handle potentially difficult situations. You know, especially you know, we, a lot of people tend to think it's men that are the problem here. We find it so much when it's women yeah. um, as well. So it's making sure that those managers know how to handle what might be for them difficult conversations and conversations they're not you you know used to having. Um, in order to then make sure that, you know, those initial conversations are done correctly and they make sure that they do keep that woman in their thoughts and as part of the team, even though they may be away from work. Yeah. Um, and obviously on the flip side to that, there is, you know, if, if someone is experiencing discrimination or they feel like they're being treated less favourably, whether that be because they're pregnant or because they're taking a maternity leave, there is, advice out there you know mm. pregnant and screwed who we've already um, mentioned they have a hr advice line over and above the work that i do and um, for people to touch base acas are a brilliant source as well um but they are there are claims that you can bring and you can bring discrimination claims whilst you're still employed as well sure. so it's not a case of your employment has to end for you to enforce your rights mm-hmm. um in those situations so there is um, support out there and um, we, we'll certainly highlight some of the links to these organisations as well because it's yeah. so important. And just kind of, um, I'm thinking of the woman's a woman's journey and her, her career after, um, you know, she has um, her family. We move on to something now that's um, we're seeing, um, you know, there was a recent High Court case actually in Northern Ireland about it. But I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on menopause and potential discrimination that's related to that because that's quite a topical matter at the moment and I feel like it's not really addressed as much as it should be. Yeah, we are seeing that more and more, I think, and I think it's so important Mm -hmm. because menopause is something that only affects women. Mm -hmm. And we've seen with the Equality Act here that they've tried, so we have what's called, just for a bit of background, we have what's called protected characteristics under the Equality Act, um, so their age, sex, race, pregnancy, maternity is one as well, amongst others. And we've seen over the years, we've tried to get more and more, obesity was one that people spoke about getting in as a protected characteristic. Obviously that affects everyone, or can affect everybody, um, no matter which stage of your life you're at. But menopause is something that only affects women. And the symptoms of the menopause can can have such a profound effect on, you know, day-to-day activity. Um, and they can be different for everyone as well. And I think there's not much out there about perimenopause. I think people, when you talk about menopause, just think about six-year-old women, 70-year-old women. Whereas actually now, no, it actually does affect people who may still be, you know, at the height of their career sometimes. Um, so I think that, again, it comes down to educating employers and making sure that employers know that the symptoms can be so different, that support that is needed by people going through perimenopause, menopause, that can be so different as well. Um, and there's so much out there that they can do, you know, and especially, I know I keep harping on about flexible working, but for someone who's been a massive champion of it, for it to finally now be going in the right way, I think should be highlighted. Um, but with flexible working as well, you can allow those people to work from home on days where they might be suffering. You know, you can allow people to cut their hours short to work later into the night. So there's a lot that can be done. And I think that definitely we will see more and more about menopause um, in the next few months and years. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it is included in the Equality Act at some point. Yeah, 
Uh, you know, it's still such a, a taboo subject, I mean, as well, in this this day and yeah. age. And I only, I'm familiar with just a few kind of legal firms and at the top, the directors are, most of the directors would be women. And, you know, they've been highlighting this issue very vocally. And then you can see yeah. it's, it's just so important to get that awareness out there and to be mm. brave, you know, to be brave and address these issues and, and you know, encourage your fellow employees to know that, you know, it's okay to bring matters up and to have them, you know, discussed with um, at manager and at senior level so um, again you're right there's lots to do but it's just about the proper training and you kind of structure in place for employers Um, you've done a lot in terms of um, focusing on your specialist area and you've done a lot of media as well Um, you're called on um, BBC and Victoria I think I've seen you on a couple of reports that you did (laughs) Um, it really has become a very kind of specialist area and you are obviously an expert um, in that field how do you grow from here or what do you see that you is there is there any way that you can kind of you know pin that down or what do you see that needs to be explored more is it training or is there something that you'd like to kind of focus on you know to highlight that work a little bit more yeah i mean this is the reason that it, it's just always in the press yeah. there's always something there's always a case that comes up or there's always an issue you know as i said we've had shared parental leave we've had flexible working we now have the menopause so they're all kind of women's issues that do come up more and more um I think there's a lot more to be done. I think the government needs to really step, you know, step up. I think a lot of emphasis is put on employers. Um, you know, a lot of emphasis is put on right. Well, employers need to do this, or employers yeah. should pay increased maternity pay. Employers, whereas the government really do need to be doing more. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that be, you know, increasing the amount of free childcare that people get, so that it allows them back into the workplace. You know, it's so restrictive for women when we're coming back into the workplace because we do need to take up part-time work or we need to take a step down at work because you need to be in full-time to be management level so I think a lot more is it is a real systemic problem yeah. <laughs> it's a real that we need to go Absolutely. back to basics mm-hmm. with it I think but yeah I think that um something that I really want to do um as part of the next steps um in what I do in this area is set up more employer training you know go in-house doing training with employers on dealing with pregnant employees, dealing with maternity, dealing with flexible working requests because we've recently seen a change in, you know, there's going to be a change in the law in relation to that um, as well. So I do think, you know, that education, that training side of things, more could be done. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Um, And just in terms of, I suppose, uh, the question that we kind of focus on here a lot because it's activist lawyer, the, the podcast, but um, activism and the law I mean what's your thoughts on that we always get a, a very different answer and I know that you've you're so active in your campaign work <laughs> that we, we've touched upon how important is it for you to you know see change being made real societal change being made through the law or hand in hand with campaigns you've, we've actually seen it in practice with yourself yeah I think it's really important especially with employment because we're talking about we are talking about human rights we are talking about something that is so pivotal to most people, most people have a job, most people work, whether that be on a self-employed basis or as an employee. And I think that what it does in the pregnancy and maternity arena and with women's rights is the law gives you kind of a baseline to start with. So, for example, one of the things that Pregnant and Screwed are doing is trying to increase the time limit to bring these types of claims. At the minute, we work to really short timescales in the employment tribunal. So you have to raise these claims within three months, less one day. Okay. of the act of discrimination taking place. And you've already touched upon it, Sarah, that <clears throat> actually when you're pregnant, you've got a hell of a lot more going on. Or when you've just had a baby, you don't really want to be thinking about submitting a claim to a tribunal. But at least it gives us that baseline to start with and say, 
to the government or the people that are um, responsible for making these changes, right, okay, well, three months isn't long enough because of this and this, and therefore it should be this amount. So I think it's really, really important. I do, um, um, and as I said, um, you know, I do think more needs to be done, um, especially in this area. And like you, that protection. like you, we've had guests on who work in a corporate environment, you know, and their their firm is a corporate firm or they're in a commercial, but um, they have a, a kind of a, a drive in terms of activism and very often outside their yeah. work, that's where they focus on. So they bring their legal skills and perhaps join, you know, a charity or an NGO or a campaign and really get involved that way. And I, I love seeing that because we always have this perception that it's corporate versus like the human rights firms. Yeah. You really see more and more people wanting to become involved in actually making change, pushing for change in a campaign that they support, whether it's LGBTQ plus or we've had such a variety of guests. Yeah. Do you think that's important as well to kind of break down those perceptions of the corporate 100%. World? Yeah, I definitely, definitely do. I mean, this is something that I feel really passionate about because I'm a mom anyway and I've had my own juggles in terms of of my career um but i think that that is that is really important you know i i particularly can make a change because i act for employers as well as employees yeah. so whilst i can fight a good a case for a claimant who might be going through i can also actually say to an employer well do you know what that's not the way we should have done it or we should have done it this way so i do think that we can make a change and make a positive change and i said a lot of employers as well mm-hmm. are gearing towards that they do want to take care of their staff yeah. um so yeah i i i 100 agree really? that we are mm-hmm. pivotal to it yeah and yeah. i often think that in college we'll go back to the just employment law um you know as a an area to specialize in you know, the perception might be in some cases that it's quite a dry area. It's, you know, you're kind of thinking of contracts and tribunals, etc. But you've proven that it absolutely is not. It's very much a varied area to practice in. And um, we've had one or two, I think we've had a barrister and some um, employment law specialists on before talking about very different issues than, than we've talked about today. But if somebody's listening to this and they're thinking, hmm, wasn't really considering employment law, but I might, uh, you know, and perhaps focusing on the women's rights issues as well. And discrimination um, cases as well what advice would you have would you recommend it what kind of steps would you advise somebody to take if they wanted to get into your area of practice you were thrown in at the deep end but somebody uh, chose yeah I mean it wasn't an area that I actually thought about but I can honestly I know you hear people say this but no two days are the same in our area of work um you know you can be dealing with assisting a corporate deal where someone's buying or selling a business which is very formulaic and quite fact specific and just reviewing documents we can be in tribunal with a claimant or you can be handling the disciplinary matter for an employer so it's really interesting and it really keeps you on your toes as well but I also think that if you are the type of person that likes to deal with people um, and likes to you know make a difference that it, it is quite a nice area to be in you know it's one that you can really really relate to yeah. no matter what you're doing you know you've always got a mum dad grand aunt mm-hmm. friend who's been through sure. whatever issue you're dealing with um and I think that if if someone is considering it they will they will never be bored they will all, and we will always have work you know always. throughout recession time through <laughs> pandemics you know whatever yeah. <laughs> we're always really really busy as well um you know, it, it is an area that I really enjoy doing. And as I said, the pregnancy and the maternity work, 
I feel really lucky to be involved with that. I feel I was I was incredibly lucky throughout my pregnancies and my maternity leave because my boss was so supportive yeah. with everything that I wanted to do, you know, coming back flexibly, having time off to go and see Christmas Carol concerts and things like that. But a lot of women don't have the same experience and I feel incredibly lucky to be able to help them out. Brilliant. And I guess if people wanted to get in um, to that area, it's always good to do some kind of, you know, work um, on the on the networking, I suppose, with people who work yeah. within the industry and also some voluntary work as well in terms of campaigns. And I know here we have free legal advice centres for employment where um, young graduates can go in and assist and, you know, provide some level of support. So is that something that you would maybe... Yeah, that would yeah work experience in a law firm. We have we have citizens advice bureaus here as well, which they could volunteer for. Um, but yeah, definitely, I would definitely see it. That's something that I would recommend to anyone, regardless of which sector yeah. you want to go in. You know, go in and have a. Yeah. You know, it might not be for you. It might not be. But if you go in and you you, you see what it's like, I think that would be the best first step and get a bit of experience well yeah. it's been just an absolute pleasure I've, I've been dying to speak to you for a long time because I've seen <laughs> um, I follow you online in your work and I would really recommend anyone so with Danielle's firm we'll, we'll send links and you can see some of da- Danielle's fantastic work but also the Pregnant Then Screwed campaign to just take a look at yep. it it is really really fantastic um, you know and quite shocking as well to see you know it what is. you're still having to deal with um, but we'll, we'll share that as well and Danielle thank you so much for giving up your time time today really appreciate it thanks so much for having me on thanks for having me on no problem thanks everyone for joining me today if you like the show please remember to share and leave a review if you have a moment and you can also check out our website www.activistlawyer.com where you will see some blog articles written by our guests and contributors as well as some fabulous activist lawyer merchandise this podcast was recorded in granite podcast studio Interested in starting up your own podcast but don't know how? Granite Podcast Studio can help. Record your podcast in our state-of-the-art studio, which is based in the heart of Newry City. Our studio has cutting-edge and user-friendly technology and can seat up to four people. We also provide an editing service where our team, using your guidance and editing notes, to provide you with a flawless finished product, leaving your listeners wanting more. For more information on how you can get started, visit www.granitepodcaststudio.com.